Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. Hi there, listeners. It's the host and producer, Vicki J. Carter, here of this podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And before we jump into the episode, I wanted to stop real quickly and share with you the newest project that I'm working on. If you are an author, I think you might be interested in it. I have a YouTube channel that I just launched called The Author's Librarian on YouTube. And on that YouTube channel, I am going to share with you free accessible resources that you can use to help you with researching. I'm going to give you tips. I'm also interviewing librarians and I'm writing a book to help authors with researching. So I hope you find me there on that YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the program. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to an author that it's going to be really fun to interview. Um, His name is Robert Dugoni. So Robert, say hello to the listeners. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm so glad to have you. So I have a ton of questions. I've read one of your books that you sent to me, Advanced Reader Copy. So we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, But first, I like to have authors kind of introduce themselves a little bit to readers that may not know them. So Robert, tell us what state in the Pacific Northwest that you live in. So I live in Seattle, Washington. I actually live in Kirkland, Washington, which is across Lake Washington, across Lake Washington. Uh, and I have been here for about um, about 25 years, I guess, maybe about thereabouts. And, um, you know, I started off writing legal thrillers. I was a lawyer by background and moved on to police procedurals with Tracy Crosswhite and found quite a bit of success with her. And that has sort of opened up a lot of my horizons. I have written since then. I've written uh, espionage, and I have written literary novels. Uh, one is out, and the other one's on the way. So um, I really have kind of a broad swath of um, of reading, depending on what people like. I love it. You have a huge portfolio of books, actually, um, which is really impressive. So my listeners know that when I talk to you, the authors, they can jump on the show notes. I'll have your website there. Um, by the way, the trailer on your website from the Amazon was hysterical. <laughs> I was, I went on your um, website, you know, when I first booked you, but then I went on again today and I didn't, I heard it first, the video. So what we're talking about is Robert has this really great um, trailer on here for the book that we're going to talk about. Um, and it's from Amazon Publishing. And I heard it first and I didn't see it. And then I scrolled down to watch it. I watched it three times. I was laughing. It was so good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even sure I've seen it yet. Uh, oh, really? Well, yeah. you got to jump on. <laughs> it's good. This, this, this is part in her tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, oh well, no. I got to see something the author didn't see. That's that's pretty phenomenal. And it was it was on my it was on my website. Yeah, it's on your website. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. See, that's All what right. happens. That's what happens, listeners, when you become so big and you have people doing things for you. You don't even know what's happening anymore. It, I mean, it's yeah. I there, well, and and there's a lot of different videos that are out there. I mean, there's the one with the the cat that I have, and that's the one. Okay, cat. that one I know. Yeah. That one oh, I that that was great. That's the one I saw at least. Okay, I thought it was really 
really good. So I'm in the middle of creating a trailer for my book. And so, of course, I honed in on that. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your background. You said you were a lawyer um, prior prior to your writer life. Were you involved in criminal cases? Because the book that I read was very heavily in police procedures. And I was curious what your background was when I was reading it. No, I, um, no, I was a civil litigator. So no, no criminal law at all. For my novels, I'm really very lucky. I, I had two homicide detectives that um, helped me out uh, with all my stuff. One of them uh, passed away tragically, um, but the other one um, it still helps me. And then uh, I have another um, uh, police officer who used to be in the domestic terrorism unit uh, here, and he also helps me with um, my stuff. I mean, basically, it's just trying to get it right. And yeah, I feel good about it because I will get emails from police officers and they will say to me, you know, um, your books read very authentic and thank you for, for getting it right. Yeah. And as you know, um, police are getting uh, a really bad rap mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, everybody thinks that if you have bat- one bad apple, the entire cart is spoiled. And mm-hmm. that's really not the case. I have found most police officers to really be um, wonderful people and very dedicated to their jobs. So I've been I've been blessed to have that help. Well, in the book that I read, we're going to talk about it more in depth for sure. In her tracks, you made it very clear that you know the that police officers are have emotions, they have a life. That's what I like about this story is that the main character Tracy, which we'll talk a little bit. I have a question about her for you. Um, you're showing the whole complicated life. You know, it's not just the police life, it's her family life, it's her background history, which this is in a series. So are all your, I feel like this one that I'm reading, which number is it in the series? You're reading, I believe you're reading um, nine. I think okay. it's nine. Yeah. And I feel like it's a, all could be read as a standalone. Like I didn't feel like I was missing tremendously a lot of background um, about Tracy. Is Was that intentional when you were doing the writing? Yeah, you know, I, I I I always tell readers to liken it to um, the Harry Potter series, um, where if you start at the first book, uh, you get a lot of background on Harry and that kind of stuff. But you can read you can read any book, and the book will stand alone. And and that's really what I think is uh, an author playing fair with the audience, um, and that's what I try to do. Uh, this the journey that the character is on in that particular book is completed. The characters will move on, but the journey itself, whether it's to find the Sorcerer's Stone or get the Goblet of Fire, whatever that is, that is concluded so that the reader feels like they have a fully contained novel uh, that they've read and finished. I love that. And I appreciate that because as a reader, I'm jumping from all sorts of read. Just from the podcast alone, I read a fantasy book one day in a series another day and something else, you know, before I bring an author on and I can feel a little disjointed with some of the books. So I do appreciate that about your book. The other thing I'm going to mention that I love is that you obviously live in Seattle, but you, and you have, you come to Seattle during the time of the massive amounts of growth because <laughs> it's very clear in your characters that they talk about some of the things that we've experienced in Seattle that, you know, everybody wants to live in the beautiful, beautiful Seattle, but traffic is a bear, at least, you know. And then this one is very relevant because you were also talking about um, the police force and the loss of police force members leaving Seattle because of the hotbed that was 
has and continued to happen there since COVID. So all of those things I totally took notice had um, about. So, and you said you've only been in Seattle for about 20 years? About 20 years, yeah. I will consider you kind of a native. <laughs> did you come because of a lawyer job? Is that what you did? And then you just, you stayed? Is that how it happened? No, I came because of a woman. <laughs> oh, even better. Good. <laughs> uh, my wife is uh, born and raised here in Bellevue. And um, when I wanted to change careers, when I, you know, decided that I wanted to do what I really wanted to do my whole life, which was write novels, write books, um, we had a plan in place. And, um, you know, that plan involved moving to Seattle and giving myself an opportunity to um, to write, which, you know, would have been very difficult in the Bay Area, just oh, yeah. cost prohibitive and and uh, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I am. Uh, I, I have slowly come to um, appreciate the Pacific Northwest. Uh, wow. It was a it was a slow change because I left the Bay Area when the Bay Area was, you know, not crazy the way it is now. Uh, prices are home prices are ridiculous, and and uh, you know traffic and everything is ridiculous. So I you know I left really I, I left a lot of family and I left a lot of friends. So it was very difficult for me to move up here. Um, but I've come to really appreciate a lot about the Pacific Northwest. And you're right, you know, um, everything changes. When I first came up here 30 years ago for a friend's wedding with no intention of ever moving here, not even having met anybody from here, I remember getting to downtown Seattle and feeling like it was the cleanest city I'd ever been in in my it life. Was then, though. <laughs> it was spotless. I was like, oh, my God, what did they, they wash the streets every night? And, you know, unfortunately, that has changed yeah. in the last 30 years, as have traffic. Oh, yeah. But the one thing I'll comment about, and then we'll we'll talk about some other stuff that my listeners know I like to ask specific questions. So um, in this book, the thing that caught me, too, was um, one of the characters, she was a transplant from El, um, the, you know, southern region to California. And her comment about it getting dark early in the wintertime. That you only hear from people that are not natives, right? We do get sick of us. Those of us that are winter all like, we just know 4.30 in the wintertime, you're, you're indoors. Um, my husband grew up here in Washington, moved, lived in LA for over 10, 15 years, and got very accustomed to LA life. <laughs> moved back, not intentionally to stay, but he met me and I am very ingrained in my Pacific Northwest roots. So he stayed, but his first summer, his first winter back was very depressing because he had forgotten about that dark 4.30. You know, you, you get up to go to work and you drive in the dark and you come home and you drive in the dark. So. It, it is, it's, it's really hard. And, you know, I was always very lucky. I, I traveled a lot. I was always in Tucson, Arizona and, and California and uh, Tennessee and up in Canada. Uh, I mean, I traveled a lot and that helped. But when with, with COVID, you know, uh, I haven't I haven't I mean, I was I've been on two airplanes uh, in a year and a half. And I, I mean, I used to travel 50 to 60,000 miles a year. Yeah. Um, so th this winter was really difficult. And I think it was difficult for a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, for that very reason. Uh, and so. Um, you know, my wife and I, we've always tried to find the sun, at least for some of the winter, yeah. uh, because it can be really difficult on, on, on people. Yeah, we do too. We, when we could travel, <laughs> you know, we, he goes sun 
finding. We're off and trying to find it when we can. So that's the good part. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your background as a writer. So right. you didn't start with this series, did you? You started with, um, where did you start? Like, was it, um, what was the genre? Where, you know, you decided you want to be a writer, or you're making a huge career change, you know, to be a writer. And that was years ago, right? So walk us through that process a little bit of your journey as a writer. Uh, so, you know, I always wrote. Uh, I grew up uh, with a mother that, before she started having 10 children, uh, was an English teacher. And so by the time I was in the seventh grade, she had handed me and I had read, you know, The Count of Monte Cristo, Crisco, um, The Old Man and the Sea, um, Of Mice and Men, The Great Gatsby, um, you name it. I mean, I, I had read all the classics and I fell in love with stories. I mean, it's really, really what I wanted to do. And I knew in the seventh grade, I had to stand up in front of my classmates and give a speech on slavery and I took the I took the role on of a slave and I and I gave this speech and I, it ended up you know going viral back in that day meant I was taken from classroom to classroom and gave my speech. Um and uh you know I knew it. I I just, I just knew it. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with characters. I fell in love with dialogue. I fell in love with acting and it's what I always wanted to do. But um I studied journalism in, in high school. I studied journalism at Stanford University. I studied journalism at the Los Angeles Times. And then I got cold feet, you know, quite honestly. Um, you know, I, I saw myself working in, uh, in a suburb in Southern California with no friends, with no family, not getting paid a lot of money uh, and chasing stories and, you know, working hard. And you know, I just, all my friends were going to professional school and my mother had always said, get as much education as you can while you're young. And so I, I jumped on law school at UCLA and uh, I always thought that I would write, but this would be something great to fall back on. Well, <laughs> you know, you get out of school and, and people are offering you $50,000 a year, which back in 1987 was a lot of money. Yeah. Coming out uh, of school definitely is right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, you know, so I, 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 f I fell into practicing law and, you know, the best thing that happened to me and the worst thing that happened to me is I, I went to work at a law firm with a lot of really young people, young men, young women, a lot of athletes, a lot of people that love sports, which I do. And it was like it was like an extension of college. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was hard to leave that. But I really, really did not like practicing law. I just was it was not my thing. And I started to look for other outlets. And the first outlet I found was acting. And I started doing a lot of theater in San Francisco. Um, I started getting cast in some pretty big shows. And again, I fell in love with scenes and dialogue and, you know, character motivations and all those things. And I finally, um, in or about um, what, what I trying to remember what year it was that I that I talked to my, my wife and I left, I think it was maybe um, 1998. I think. And, uh, um, you know, we took a shot, we took a chance. And like most writers, I, I failed miserably. And uh, then you pick yourself up off the ground and you say, okay, what do I need to do to be successful? Yeah. And yeah. learn how to tell a novel, you know, learn how to write a novel. And I started studying. Mm -hmm. uh, and I gave myself basically my own MFA. Uh, I mean, nice. I have so many novels on the, on the structure and the craft of writing. It's ridiculous how many books that I've read and studied and earmarked and highlighted and and everything you can um, to get to try to get to be successful. But I think that makes a really great 
author is somebody that's um, willing to learn the craft and really, really dig in there and deep. And I feel like I can see that in writing. I have formal, I don't have an MFA background. I have a library background. So my, my background's in researching and the writing craft for me, I had to do the same thing. I've had to, like, I told my husband, I was going to go do my doctorate because that was the next step up. I was like, you know, I'm just going to spend the rest of time in my life doing the same thing, all that energy into writing and learning how to do the craft, how to publish the whole ins and outs. I want to learn all that. And um, so I think that makes for great writers. I feel like (laughs) so, you know, I think the other thing is um, a lot of our stories come out of our lives and, you know, we fictionalize them and all those things, but, you know, I don't know a lot of writers who were successful in their youth, you know, who were successful when they were 20, in their 20s. I mean, a couple, you know, or even in their 30s. I think I think you have to live life a little bit to have a proper perspective yeah. to, to, you know, create those characters and have those characters come out of experiences. Um, you have to have lived and loved and lost and, and had people die and, you know, had pets die and, you know, all those things I think that that make us who we are before you can start, you know, telling us, telling a story. I I just think that there's something to that. And I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Because I am heading into the, as my daughters will say, the middle aged woman stage. And I haven't even got my first novel out. Now I'm working on my first nonfiction that's coming out. But for me, that doesn't feel like the same story craft as a, a novel. And I didn't even feel like I could start writing a novel until three years ago, where I, and when I started to really write the first novel, I was like, oh, now I see why when I was 25, just starting out with kids, I didn't have the same view of the world by any means to be able to write this character as in depth it is. So that, that's good. So thank you. You just encouraged me. <laughs> well, and, and you raise a really good point too. We all go through different phases in our life and there is that phase of your life where, you know, you have, you have, you're a parent or you're a spouse and you have, you know, you have obligations, you have uh, things that you you need to do. And, and whether it's youth sports or youth activities or youth theater or whatever it is, you want to give your kids the very best that you can. And so, you know, finding the time to really delve deep into characters and create a story while you're also working probably to support your family. It, it, it's it's very difficult. Yeah, it is. And I know some that do it and they they manage it. I'm still holding down a full-time job, but I don't have the commitments in family life like I did. My, my Our kids are out of the house, their own room. And uh, we have dogs, so that's enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so so I can't put the energy into it and, and the time and energy into it. So I get, okay, so let's talk about your publishing journey. So back then when you started, um, there was really two paths you know there was the independent which was we consider independent of self-publishing um vanity presses really and not a lot of people went that way they weren't as lucrative as they are today or self-publishing was today and then there was um traditional publishing so talk us through where you're at now because you're in one of those great stages of publishing where you're with you know a, a great publishing company but it's come from the genesis of everything that's happened in the last 10 years in publishing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, um, I started out in traditional publishing. And while I was in traditional publishing, uh, 
Amazon started coming into being and um, the whole notion of, you know, do you need an agent anymore? Do you need an editor anymore? That all started. I remember when it was coming up, I remember having conversations in the hallway, people saying to me, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I was, I, I love to write and, and that's what I want to do. Uh, you know, people ask me, you know, how did I, how did I put out? I, I don't even know how many it is, 15, 16 books in the last um, seven years or something like that. It's because this is what I love to do. I don't love the market. I don't love to do any of that stuff. Uh, it's it's just it's not part of my DNA, and so it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort. Um, my agents take care of so much stuff for me. I mean, they are so wonderful. My editor is so wonderful. So anyway, I started out in traditional publishing at Grand Central, and they were wonderful. They were terrific. I mean, they really were really were great. And those two books that I did with them. It really went crazy. And then, you know, quite honestly, I, I think, you know, uh, I, I, I probably got a little too big for my britches. And I had another publisher offer me a, just a boatload of money. And I took the money and I didn't take into consideration some of the other really important aspects in business, which is loyalty, which is happiness, which is liking the people you work with. And my experience at my second publisher was not a positive experience at all. N- not at all. Um, there was a lot of things that happened and a lot of people that, you know, and I, and I'll take, I'll take some blame for it, but it was not good. And so I really had to reinvent myself after five, five legal thrillers. And I reinvented myself with Tracy Crosswhite and, um, my agent went to sell it and she went through traditional publishing and very luckily traditional publishing was so rigid in looking at just numbers and they were looking at my last book which never came out in paperback now you can imagine how many how many books does a genre fiction author sell when the publisher doesn't even put that novel out in paperback it's then it wasn't going to sell at all no so so my numbers were not good and Mm -hmm. and so luckily a lot of editors wanted to buy the book but they couldn't get they couldn't get the you know authority to do it and Amazon had been had been after me and after my agent for quite a while. And um, I, I decided I wanted to go to lunch with them. I wanted to find out more what they were about. And I went to lunch and I kid you not, there was probably 12 people at that table. And I was probably 10 to 15 years older than everybody there or more. <laughs> and it was like being at a startup uh, meeting. I mean, they were telling me things I, I I had no idea. I mean, they were telling me who my audience was, where my audience was, you know, everything. And um, I walked out of that meeting. And I remember I called my agent and I said, I don't care what the advance is. I want to work with them. And I got in at the right time. I got in in 2012 and mm-hmm. things started to explode for them. And I became kind of the poster boy. Uh, and they just, they pushed me and they pushed my books and they loved my books and they loved the fact that I was prolific. I was putting out a lot of material and, and yet I had a really good system in place to make sure that those books were quality books. Uh, never put out anything that I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable that my four, you know, real strong readers, you know, loved. And, um, Amazon has just, Thomas and Mercer has been unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the people ask me, what's the difference? And the difference is when my books came out with traditional publishers, they'd be promoted for two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. And I will tell you now that my sister's grave came out in, I believe, 2013. And to this day, they are still promoting that book. 
So, um, you know, they, they just, they know how to sell. They know how to sell and they know that an audience is always out there. It's if people, and the best example I can give you again is Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. People will say, how can Harry Potter be the number one selling book, you know, 15 years after it was first published? Because there are so many people that are becoming 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, and they're picking up books. So they just continue to market and market and market. And uh, I've just been very blessed to to have the opportunity to work with them. Well, I'm so glad you told me the story because I'm I'm doing my first. I the reason why I started this podcast was because I knew I was going to write novels, but I didn't know now there's so many possible options. You know, traditional publishing. There's hybrid publishing. There's indie. You know, there's everything. So I'm like, well, I'm going to approach this by just asking authors in the area what they what they have done and where, where they were successful, what tips then they give me. And I was like, Oh, this is a good podcast. So I just started the podcast. <laughs> Didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, so I'm glad you shared that about the Amazon because I, I do have quite a few authors that are um, in um, imprints of Amazon's um, publishing company. And I, I just don't think that enough people talk about what Amazon publishing can do and has done for some authors. And, and I think that what you just explained, I mean, you have been very fortunate. I'm not sure if all authors have been that fortunate, but you also have good representation you have good team around you. So I think that makes a big difference is yeah. that you have those people you can trust, but you learn the hard way. <laughs> it sounds well, like. And, and, you know, I, I, I think everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, and I did learn a lot. I, I learned a lot in traditional publishing, and um, and and I it, I took that as when I d- wanted. I, I knew what I wanted and what I did not want. Yeah. And um, you know, I got I I I found a place where I I felt comfortable, and I think that's the most important thing for any author is to find a place where you're comfortable, where you feel like you can pick up the phone and and call your editor and your editor will talk to you and, and, you know, they, it's not, you, you don't have to feel like, gee, I'm, I'm bothering this person. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always had a really open um, relationship with my, my, the people I have, I work with at Amazon where, you know, I can email them or I can talk to them and, and they, they will respond. The other thing quite honestly is I can't tell you the number of emails I've received from readers who will say to me, you know, I, I'm a shut in, or I'm, I'm getting over cancer and um, I read seven books a week yeah. and I can't afford to pay $20, $22 for, for seven books a week. Yeah. And so it's really great to be able to pick up your novel at, you know, $7.99 or $6.99 or when it goes on sale at $1.99. Yeah. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, well, that devalues a book. And I'll say, really? Because, you know, I have a book that's been out for four years and they put it on sale for $1.99 and we sell 40,000 copies in a month. I mean, so that's, that's how does that, how does that hurt? How does that hurt me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's an awful lot of people out there that, that um, Amazon provided a product that they could afford to buy. Yes. That yeah. couldn't have otherwise done it. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is um, I've had, two or three instances where I've been contacted by librarians who said, you know, we're on a limited budget. This recently it happened to me in Alabama. We're on a limited budget and it's really hard for us to get your books. The, the supplier is charging mm-hmm. just way too much money. 
And so I got in touch with Amazon and Amazon helped me to provide them with a complete copy of, of all my novels. That's awesome. So, you know, I mean, people always want, they want to look at who's the big bad guy, you know, yeah. in the business. And it's, it's really not that simple uh, of a, 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 an issue. It's really not. Yeah, it's not. And so the aspect that Amazon does provide it so that people that can't otherwise afford, I love that aspect. I, my love for reading came from my grandmother, who was a single older woman on her own. And she taught me, uh, obviously, she took me to the library. It's where I got my first library card. And um, secondly, she taught me how to find books in um, old bookstores and thrift stores. And, and you can get great value from a book that's already been used. And so um, I'm so glad to hear the stories that, that you're getting from people that, that can't afford necessarily to consume large quantities, but they need to because they're in a place in their life where they need the entertainment, you know? Right. So, so very good. Okay. So let's jump into this series. Um, so uh, remind us again, you have nine, there's nine titles in it, right? I think that, I think there is, no, I think there is nine. I, I, I'm forgetting. There's an awful lot. Cause I, five, six, seven, eight. This is the eight. Okay. I, fin- but, I have finished the ninth. There you go. Okay. I mean, I don't know if readers realize how this goes for writers. You write one whole book and you literally move on to the next one. You don't have time to like, so it's easy to forget where you're at when you have this many. So talk us through this scenario of this character in this series. Um, you know, you don't have to share everything about it, but what would you want readers to know about so that they'll be interested in picking up one of the books in the series? So the lead character is a female homicide detective, the first female homicide detective in Seattle uh, named Tracy Crosslight. And her partner is a guy named Kensington Rowe. And when you meet Tracy, you first meet Tracy in the David Sloan series. She has a very cameo appearance in the book Murder One where she is a um, former chemistry teacher who's become a police officer. And so when I was looking for a new series, um, I was looking at the characters, whether I could do any type of a spinoff. And the first one that came to mind was Kensington Rowe. He's a ex football player with a bad hip, uh, you know, from playing football and he becomes a, a police officer. And I thought there's this character really has some, some grit to him. And then I started looking at Tracy and my agent started looking at Tracy and she said, why was she a chemistry teacher? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and she said, well, find out. And so um, I started to think about Tracy Crosswhite, who she was, where she came from, uh, how she went from being a high school chemistry teacher. And really what I touched on was the, the real life event of um they, in Seattle, they started taking down a lot of dams to restore the wild habitat of the salmon so they could return home and spawn. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, when they took down the dams, they took down the reservoir of water behind the dams, collecting behind the dams, which were lakes. And those lakes receded and they started finding things. Mm-hmm. You know, they started finding cars that had been, they thought had, you know, been lost forever. They found uh, a car and a, a body in a car. And they, you know, a woman they thought had been abducted and she wasn't, she went off the road and, you know, in her car, she drowned. And so, you know, I started to play with that idea of somebody, you know, who Tracy loved disappears and nobody knows what happens to her. And then they take down the dam and the water recedes and they find a body and boom. And the, the thing is, is somebody has been convicted for 
her sister's murder and Tracy doesn't believe that person is guilty based upon the evidence that she finds. And so to, in order to find out who murdered her sister, she has to get a new trial for the guy that's been convicted. And so people really took to her and took to her story and took really took to her situation. Um, I can't tell you the number of emails I received from people who said things like, you wrote my life story. I lost my sister when I was such and such an age. You know, this was really chilling. And, and so um, I, it's not a series where uh, like Jack Reacher or um, James Bond, where every time you open the, the book, she's back in the same place she was, you know, it's, it, it's progressive. She grows as a person. She meets people. She no. starts to begin to have a personal life and other things no. that I won't, I won't say people can find out, but yeah. I write her as a, as an evolving character. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. Even though I'm reading book, um, what you said, seven or eight, um, I knew this because you do leave it up in there for us to understand that she's evolved quite a bit in her life and in her background and her personal life and what drives her now than what might have driven her later. But here's my big question. And this is something that I had a discussion with other authors in the past in a group. Um, some authors don't like to write a um, opposite sex point of view or a ethnicity point of view that's not their own um, because it's more challenging, they think. So was Tracy just naturally, was she easy for you to write or did you have to really draw upon the female people around you because I feel like she's very realistic for a female character. Yeah. I always say, I always say this to people. I don't write from the perspective of a woman. I write from the perspective of a human being who has been grievously injured in her past and is trying to deal with it while she's trying to, to be a spouse, while she's trying to be a mother, while she's trying to hold down a job, which I think is universal. I mean, I think that is a universal, I think it, it, it goes beyond ethnicity, it goes beyond sex. Uh, everybody has to deal with things in life. And when you get to be my age, you begin to realize that everybody is dealing with something yeah. in their life. Yeah. And so I do not try to uh, create a female character. I do not try to embody uh, what it's like to be a woman working in a, man, a male environment. Now, I spent time with uh, my female homicide detective. And I know what she went through and things will surprise you. Um, you know, one time I was there and one of the other detectives said, you know, oh, you're a writer, you're writing really a female character. And, and he said, are you writing about, you know, Jen? And, and I said, well, no, not specifically. He said, well, you should, because um, you could call her, you could, you know, if you're writing about a female detective, you could call her Dickless Tracy. And, you know, he thought this was hysterical. Oh. And I, you know, after he left, I looked at Jen and I said, do you get that a lot? And she says, yeah, I do. And I said, so what do you do about it? And she says, I don't do anything about it. She said, this is what was interesting. She said, women in the department hate it when other women file lawsuits for sexual harassment or, se you know, all those things. She said, because what it does is it makes everybody treat us differently. And I don't want to be treated differently. I just want to be treated like a detective and be allowed to do my job. Yeah. So that surprised me, mm -hmm. uh, but I could definitely see where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. I have four sisters. <laughs> oh, well, they're, all they're all professional women. My mother's a professional woman. Yeah, uh, yeah. My wife is a professional woman. And so I, I worked in the legal profession with a lot of very wonderful uh, female attorneys. And, you know, I can remember I, one time 
a, a woman was in trial and I was helping her with the trial. And I went to her office one day and she just looked, she just looked completely worn out and, and stressed out. And I said, what can I help you with? You know, give me some things to do and take it off your plate. What can I help you with? And she said, I just don't know what we're going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that is a problem that I have never thought of. But it was something she was trying to deal with because she's a mom. She's a she's a, 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 a wife. So, you know, there's a lot of things I think that women have to deal with that men don't have to deal with that I think are make your lives a lot more difficult and and that shouldn't be that way. Um, and so I just try to write from the perspective of a person dealing with those kinds of issues. I love it. And and it stands out. It's not it's not blatant. It's not, oh, you know, uncomfortable to read Tracy. I don't feel like I'm reading somebody that's trying to write a female's character from a non-female perspective. So that's what I appreciated. That's why I wanted to ask you about it because I have read other work that works that have haven't been that way. And I was like, oh, they're trying a little too hard in this character to be yeah. female when they're not, you know. So <laughs> I love great. And I, I think if I think if you do try too hard readers pick up on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, they definitely You know, do. and and you can't do that with ethnicity either. You know, my my espionage series, The Eighth Sister and The Last Agent and uh, the one coming out, The Silent Sister. Uh my main character is a, is a 60-year-old African American man. And, you know, I I'm obviously not African American, but my law school roommate was African American. Mm-hmm. And I saw the things that he went through in Southern California that we went through together. Now, does that mean I can write that authentically from my perspective? No. But what I can write is I can write from the perspective of a person, of a human being trying to do their job. Yeah, I love it. Great. I applaud that. So fantastic. All right. So let's dig into this particular book a little bit. Um, I usually have the authors read a little bit on the book. And um, when you do that, I do go on mute because my dogs can get a little rowdy. So eliminate that. Um, So set up the stage. However, you need to set the stage before you go into it, if so. Um, And I'll let you go for it. So I'm going to read I'm going to read a a portion of from the in her tracks. this is a story about um, Tracy is sent to do cold cases, handle cold cases. And the first case that really jumps out on her is the disappearance of a five-year-old little girl from a corn maze uh, on, on uh, the night before Halloween. And um, the little girl's name is Ellie Chin. And her husband's name, or her husband, her father's name is Bobby Chin. And he's a Seattle police officer. Uh, he's going through a very bitter, uh, very difficult divorce uh, with his wife. So where I'm going to read from is Bobby has just gone to his ex-wife's house to pick up his daughter. She always makes it extremely difficult for him to, to do this. He has his daughter. He's taken her to the corn maze. He's doing his best to be a good dad. He wants to please her. He wants to, you know, he wants what he wants to be a good father and he, he wants his daughter to be happy. And this is a very difficult time in her life because daddy's not home anymore and mom has a boyfriend and, and things are just hard. And so what he wants is he wants to, his daughter to be happy. And this is what happens. You know, most parents would would hesitate. But because of the situation is in, he lets his daughter allow. 
convince him to do this. And this is what happens. Seattle police officer Bobby Chin took his daughter's hand and they entered the corn maze. The thick stalks exceeded six feet and made the path narrow. He moved as quickly as Ellie's little legs allowed, not wanting to rush her, but wanting to get through the maze before the lights went out. Pretty cool, huh, Butterfly? He calls her Butterfly because she's wearing butterfly wings. It's the night before Halloween and she's a butterfly. Ellie stared at the stalks of corn. Then she said, let's play hide and seek, Daddy. We don't have time for that, Ellie. We have to get through the maze. Please, Daddy. I'm sorry, honey. Maybe we can play at home. Ellie cried. Then she sat down in the dirt. Ellie, get up, honey. You're getting your costume dirty. No, honey, you have to stand up. I want to play. Mommy lets me play. The counselor Chin had seen for his court-ordered anger management classes had warned that kids going through a contentious divorce could become defiant and play one parent off the other. Ellie, you need to stand up. No, Graham plays with me. Chin felt his heart ripping apart. Okay, one quick game, all right? Ellie got to her feet. Yay, but when I say come out, you have to come out, okay? You count, Daddy. You have to hide your eyes. Okay, but if I say come out, you come out, right? Turn around when you count. Chin turned and counted. It wouldn't be hard to find Ellie's colorful butterfly wings among the green corn stalks. One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. Three Mississippi. At six Mississippi, he cheated and turned. He didn't see Ellie's wings behind the corn stalks. Here I come. He stepped forward. I'm coming. He searched the aisle, looking under the drooping leaves. He turned the corner to another row, then a third and a fourth. He checked his watch, felt himself starting to panic. He shouted, okay, Ellie, I give up, come out. He turned in a circle, looking, hearing the wind rustle the stalks. Don't let the lights go out, he muttered under his breath. He called again, Ellie, you have to come out. The game is over. His heart raced. He jogged, turning left and right down the rows, shouting her name. Ellie, come out. Ellie, Ellie. He turned a corner, disoriented. Another corner. Ellie's colorful butterfly wings lay in the dirt. Ellie. Then the lights went out. And that's the part that got me hooked. <laughs> I was just like, oh no, a parent's worst nightmare. Your stomach drops, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is It is your worst nightmare. I mean, I think every parent has been through it. Yeah. I remember we were in a, a, a store one time and we had my son. He was a little guy at the time. He was two. And uh, suddenly he disappeared. Yeah. And my wife raced to the front of the store and screamed at the cashier, to close the doors and not let anybody out. Yeah. And they did. Oh, and he, was, he was hiding under in a circle of clothes. He was hiding underneath there oh, when wow. we found him. Look, and you know, you want to kill him. Yeah. But at exactly. the same time, you're just so happy you found him. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was heart wrenching. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, both of our daughters have done the escape artist at least once or twice in our lives. And it's just been, it was terrifying. They, but today they will tell you that we watched them like a hawk and they weren't allowed to go two steps away from me without holding my hand. I'm like, no, you guys got away once in a while. Trust me. And when you have little ones, you will know that feeling. It's terrifying. 
So, well, Robert, it is such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And before we go, um, do you have any advice for aspiring authors like myself, who's just starting out, um, to share something with us? You know, absolutely. And my advice is learn the craft. Um, You will save yourself endless hours and endless drafts if you learn how a story is told. And the best book I have ever found out there is Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey. And he talks about story structure and how stories have put together since they were first told thousands of years ago. And, you know, if you if you if you be, if you study that craft, uh, you will find you will find success. Wh- wh- how much success you're going to find is going to depend on how good you are as an author, how strong your voice is, and all those other things. But the most important thing is to first understand how do you tell a story. And my career uh, took off when I started to study the craft and learn what to do and what not to do. Awesome. Well, thank you. Great advice. And my listeners know that I'll get that um, reference in our show notes too. So anybody that's like me that wants to learn more, they can find that. They can find you on show notes too. And are you on social media? So um, uh, my listeners can find you and say they heard you about you here. Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and and uh, Instagram and, and all those all those places. You'll find you'll find me on all those. Awesome. Great. And you can also go to um uh, Amazon books slash Robert Degoni. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Robert. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And um, I will see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Authors Librarian, signing off.